For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I have a trigger warning to open up this podcast. Oregon biases will come out. I have done a great job saying, you know what? I'm going to be a fan of the Pac-12. I'm not going to let my Oregon bias get in the way. But Ryan Leaf, I think it's time to let it out. Welcome, everybody, to Believe in the Pac-12. Along with Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin. Recapping a hectic Week 7, Ryan. You were able to have the weekend off, and you were able to enjoy watching Pac-12 football from, I assume, the comfort of your own home. Before we get into this, and by the way, just for so everybody knows, Ryan is... On a roll. He is fresh off of hosting the Rich Eisen Show. He did a phenomenal job. I was sitting on the side saying, do I really have to go and host with Ryan? Not as the number, as my co-host. Ryan should be hosting this show. Like, it was freaking awesome. So, um, let's get into your experience finally being home, able to watch college football. Yeah, it was a a good experience uh, being home this weekend with my family. But then to, to watch college football, you know, and not just watch him on the replay on Monday uh, with uh, with huddle and things like that, but to actually sit in the in moment and, and watch football, and, and I got to experience uh, that Oregon beatdown on Friday night yeah. against Colorado. I think uh, you know I went as you remember I went with all the dogs this week uh, in terms of picks, um, and uh, that was one of them. I, I just thought twenty one points was too many in a conference that Colorado has been explosive in. But what I came away with in that football game was how special. Andy Avalos and that defense for Oregon is now offensively they are special and that's never been uh, out of question that was never been a question mark for me but what they have done defensively this season through the uh, through the, the I think they're what are they six games now where they're at right now is unbelievable heading into this game against Washington this next weekend let's start with that Oregon's number one in the S&P defensive rankings to this point in the season nationally, they lose Javon Holland. Guess what? Next man up. Coverage was there. They were phenomenal. They won 45-3. to three. And yesterday, last week I was questioning if the 21, and I guess it moved from 20.5 to 21.5 point spread, was crazy. I was worried. But I, I, I'm not worried anymore. Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12. They're, we'll talk about it in our next in our next podcast. They are going to whoop Washington. I'm I, I, the bias, the I, to, I told here. you, trigger warning, yeah. it's happening. They are going to whoop Washington. I, I haven't been an Oregon fan. like I wasn't allowed to be an Oregon fan for the last two years because I was calling games, but I've never felt this fandom since three years ago and, until Colorado took it away in Eugene. All of a sudden, the Ducks are back. And I have a question. So they move up one spot in the, in the, in the AP polls. I understand because of the national circumstances and, and sort of everything that's going on. They move, they, they move from 14 no, you to shouldn't, 13. No, you shouldn't understand. You uh, should be upset about it. I am upset about it, but, I'm, but my point is, is that 
you know, if they played Auburn right now, they would. If they play Auburn nine times out of ten right now, starting now, they would win. If they played Auburn in week one and just didn't mismanage the end of the football game, and that that can be placed on the coaches, then they're undefeated. So what am I missing with this ranking? This is the national narrative in the ranking, right? All of a sudden, people are pissed at me because my rankings came out today, and I have Oregon at eight uh, ahead of an Auburn team at twelve, and they're like, "How is it that possible?" I'm not. I don't care that they lost the head-to-head right now, because they're the, they were the better football team that day. They just they just weren't ready to win on the prime time stage, and they've gotten better over time. And they're in a position right now where they belong in that top end. Uh, they're the number one one-loss team I have um, in the in the top twenty-five right now. I Higher guess. than Georgia? Yes, it goes Clemson, Alabama. LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Oregon, Florida, Georgia. That's how I have my top 10 right now. Um, Utah is at 13, just behind Auburn and Notre Dame. You said the best team in the Pac-12. What's interesting is both these teams, uh, after having early stumbles and maybe kind of a course-correcting loss in the Auburn loss and the USC loss for Utah. They found out a lot about their football team, and they're going to be pretty special the rest of the way through. They don't play each other during the regular season. They could both be in a situation when they get to the Pac-12 championship at 11-1 and playing for that title. And then at that point, that could be one of those games where everybody was goes, oh, my God, defensively, both those football teams are as good as advertised. So uh, I'm excited how it plays out. But I, I think the ranking system right now is messed up in terms of where they have Oregon. I have them at eight. I think they belong there. They're the number one one-loss team in the country for me. And we're going to see some things kind of shake out in the next few weeks. Alabama and LSU play. Ohio State and Wisconsin play. Penn State plays Michigan this weekend. So, you know, we see places if Oregon continues to do stuff. They just threw Washington into the top 25 this week. I think for a reason, right, to get a top 25 yeah. matchup for ABC and ESPN, uh, Oregon versus Washington. If they're able to beat up on Washington in Seattle, which I don't think is going to be, as you just mentioned, a, a, an easy thing. I think this is going to be a highly contested football game and one that comes down to the very end. But I think the difference is this season is that what Oregon has defensively, that makes the difference. Oregon announced early Monday morning that they will lose tight end and perhaps the best tight end in the nation to this point, Jacob Breland, for the rest of the season. Most defenses in the Pac-12, and I think around the country, play sort of that cover two type defense. And Ryan, you probably know more than anybody, what's what's one of the best ways to beat the cover two? Well, it's with the, with the middle receiver down the football field. And, and, and Jacob Breland's been absolutely dynamic. And in fact... When things broke down early in the year at the wide receiver position, Jacob Breland has been uh, Justin Herbert's security blanket. And you watched it play out and happen, and it was just kind of uh, – it wasn't a big deal. It was on the sideline. He had made his play. It just – the way his foot was in the turf, and you could tell right away that his ACL, his knee was gone there in that situation. And I feel really bad because – you know, we were we were waiting for a couple of years now for Jacob Breland to have that breakout season at the tight end position, and he was having it. Where Justin Herbert goes now, losing him with a bunch of inexperienced wide receivers, Michael Red is probably the guy that you'll see a ton of. But if the defense, Jimmy Lake's going to have a a game plan ready for Red in that offense, and this game could easily come down to 
the two defenses and who can maybe generate a turnover and a score themselves. As you mentioned, Jacob Breland, he's actually been the best tight end for Oregon in the last few years since Pharaoh Brown, who's currently still, for some reason, on the depth chart for for the Browns, even though they don't use him. Um, But yeah, that's going to be a big loss. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that on Thursday in our second edition of this week's Pac-12 podcasts. But let's move on here again. Oregon on Friday night just absolutely dismantled Colorado 45-3. to I think the, the, the next best game to talk about, must it probably has to be USC-Notre Dame. How do you take a blue, blue blood school with a terrible track record over the last few years with failure, co- failed coaches or coaches who could not reach the expectation of the fan base, of the alumni, of the former players who are currently in the NFL? Well, you get a couple injuries, you play mix and match with your quarterbacks, and eventually you hope that something sticks. And I won't say that Keaton Slovis currently sticks, but man, did the Trojans put up a fight in the second half of that game against Notre Dame. Yeah, they did. They they weren't in it in the first half, and that's the reason why Clay Helton said that uh, they didn't deserve to win the football game because they didn't put together two halves of football. And I also think that Notre Dame kind of shut it down. They thought they could kind of waltz their way through the rest of that game. But in a rivalry game with a lot of young kids on that roster, uh, they were ready to come out and play in that second half. And boy, did they play well. And they got it in a position where um, there was a bit of controversy, right? They kick an onside kick, and Brian Kelly's about uh, the 12th man on the football field out there ready to coordinate things. Somehow no one saw it, and the onside kick got recovered by Notre Dame, and that game ended. They covered, uh, and that, of course, is always important to me, uh, especially when I Picked USC plus 11 and a half. Um, but again, they're three and three. So uh, I think they're very capable of having a solid second half of the season. And in fact, they um, control their own destiny moving forward because they have that big win over Utah. So um, if, they, if they run the table and win the final six football games and are nine and three and win the South, you know, we're talking about a different conversation. You know, what does that look like then there? Don't forget, they, they host an Oregon team that comes to Los Angeles on a grass field. I mean, that's there's, there's a lot of things that go into that. My brother played at Oregon. Uh, I, I know a lot of people have gone through Oregon. And, and that game alone, going to Southern California, playing on grass at night, those types of things late in the football season, they can play into something. And, Oregon, and USC has, a, has every opportunity to put themselves in a solid position, even though they're 3-3 three and three right now. And that's the biggest thing. Look, you said – for USC that they didn't play complete two halves. They were up 3 nothing after the first quarter. It was the second quarter that got away from them. They dropped 17, or they gave up 17 to Notre Dame. You just can't do that. Ian Book is fine. He's not phenomenal. Uh, but that was, I think the second half was a statement for USC. But like you said, you have to play two halves of football. They didn't, um, and they ended up losing 30-27. to Or But not Oregon. USC, they have an offense that is so dynamic. I mean, they have three NFL-caliber wide receivers. They have a really deep backfield. Uh, and, and to be able to put that all together and, and go to South Bend and, and sort of make this last stand in the third and fourth quarters of that game says a lot about the team. Uh, and I think it actually helps Clay Helton in a way. I don't think it helps Clay Helton at all. Uh, unfortunately, you think his fate's decided. Yeah, his fate's decided. You can't be three and three at this point with losses to BYU um, in, in that scenario. It, it just, it's not going to go well for them, and it's a bit of a shame. But you have to fully understand too that this is one of the most anticipated and highly recruited 
um, spots, landing spots for, for big-time recruits, and they're not getting them. Uh, the fact that no NFL players were picked until like, the th- after the third round in the NFL draft this year from USC, them not having a recruiting class, people decommitting, just the unknown without an athletic director, a new president, all of those things play into it. They're going to want to have their own guy in place. I really think it's more of a lame duck season the rest of the way for Clay Helton, and unfortunately they're probably going to move on. I don't think he gets replaced during the season unless something just absolutely uh, implodes in, in down here at USC. I think he continues, and, and it, it kind of is what it is. They they do pretty well but probably lose a couple games in particular. I think uh, maybe Arizona State, maybe uh, Oregon games. You know, they, they could be a team that sits at 7-5 and five, uh, when it's all said and done. That's just not going to be good enough uh, going to the Las Vegas Bowl for USC alumni and fans. Should USC fans be sitting on the hope that Urban Meyer gets that job, or is there somebody else out there? I see you shaking your head. Is there somebody else out there that will be taking that, that job? I don't know. You know, I think it's a it's a job that anybody and everybody would want, right? It's like a landing spot, like the UCLA basketball job. But all of a sudden, a bunch of people were using it to leverage jobs for themselves somewhere right. else. Cliff Kingsbury. And, you know, I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't like the idea of Urban Meyer. I think Urban Meyer, he may bring a championship, but he brings a ton of controversy and poor choices. And for me, that in this day and age, he means more. But as we see, Clay Helton is as good as it comes as being a good guy, a good coach, but he's not winning championships. And people want USC to compete for championships. And if they're not, they're going to find somebody who can. And Urban Meyer is going to be at the top of that list. We'll see how it plays out for the Trojans in their search for an athletic director um, and probably for a new head coach come the end of the 2019. They're not going to be playing in 2020 during the New Year's Six Bowl, so they're in the 2019 season. All right, let's move on. So Utah moves up two two spots after beating Oregon State 52-7. Oregon moves up one spot after dismantling Colorado. Explain that, that to me. Why is Utah still one spot below Oregon nationally? Don't get me wrong, Oregon State's fine. They were at home, whatever, but they're Oregon State. Utah's a great team. Zach Moss had that incredible. He had five carries for 121 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, if, if there was ever a real fantasy college football, that's the cra- that would be the craziest stat to see on your roster. They didn't need him. They didn't really need much to win this game. But was it worthy for them to move up two spots? I mean, I, the, the polls for me are silly. The only reason I put out a poll is because it stirs the pot. Where do you have Utah? I have Utah at 13. Okay. So um, they're, the, uh, they're in, that, in that group right after Florida, Georgia, Notre Dame, Auburn. That's, that's where they fall. Um, Boise State at 14, Minnesota at 15, Arizona State at 16, uh, University of Washington at 24 uh, are my four. Who's your 25th? T- uh, Temple. Okay, go Owls. So um, that for me is is where it's at. Uh, The power rankings uh, come down to this. Oregon 1, Utah 2, Arizona State 3, University of Washington 4, Cal 5, USC 6, Stanford 7, Arizona 8, Washington State 9, Colorado 10, Oregon State 11, and UCLA 12. UCLA plays Stanford this week on a Thursday night. The thought that this football team could only win one game this year, if you look at the remainder of their schedule, uh, just L.A. football in general, professional and collegiate, is a struggle. Not one of those teams are over 500 through six weeks 
in football in the in the city of Los Angeles. So we're watching this all play out. I'm not too interested in, in the fact that Utah didn't move up that much or jumped up that much and Oregon didn't, whatever. It's going to all play out, right? You see the top of the, the – you see the top of the poll, Clemson, Alabama, Alabama LSU, um, Florida, Georgia, Auburn, all those teams are going to play one another. All right, so it's gonna it's gonna feel its way out. Wisconsin, Ohio State meet in two weeks. Uh, the teams that are gonna sit there that I don't think move much this the rest of the year is Clemson, uh, is Oklahoma, and is Ohio State. Those three teams I think aren't gonna move. They're gonna be your top three, and then I think it's the SEC champion that gets into the Final Four. Oregon or Utah probably looking in at the number five spot when it's all said and done because of those because of the fact the conference hasn't been considered. Um, good, which I would totally disagree with. Um, but also they had slip-ups against teams that, you know, are probably going to be mediocre, right? USC is probably going to lose five games. Auburn may lose, you know, three, possibly four games. And those are going to be the losses to both of those football teams when it's all said and done. So those three teams I don't think move. Everything else will get um, accelerated and move towards the forefront, and it will be either Utah or Oregon probably sitting at that number five spot when the college football playoff comes down the line. Now, the question mark there for me is, what if there's a two-loss SEC champion? Does that mean a, a one-loss Pac-12 champion doesn't go either? I mean, that would send people to the hills, I think, in terms of what that looks like, because it really should mean that uh, if Oregon's 12-1 and with a loss to Auburn on an opening weekend by final play score and they don't get into the college football play, then you're just like, you know, what's the point in the Pac-12 conference playing? It, it just, it's it's absolutely silly. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, no one expected in the world that Georgia was going to lose to South Carolina this week. So this ease, these things can happen, right? What happens if, you know, Alabama falls to LSU and then LSU gets beat by somebody like late in the year against a Texas A&M team or something like, something crazy like that? We just don't know. That's the greatest thing about college football. And that's why we enjoy every single weekend in the games that come from it. Mentioned that South Carolina win over Georgia, an improbable one. I want to give a quick shout-out to Ryan Holinsky, the quarterback for South Carolina. He got injured, but he's actually a native of our little area around here. He went to Orange Lutheran High School, and he was phenomenal. And this allows me now to plug a shameless plug for my new podcast that will launch tomorrow uh, on the Believe Podcasting Network, Southern California uh, recruits. We'll be talking a lot about uh, the big names in the area, both starting with football to this point into the season. We'll have interviews with those recruits and head coaches, um, and then we'll matriculate into basketball as well. Jonah Malkin, my uh, managing director, co-managing director and co-broadcasting uh, partner for our media venture will be joining me as my co-host for that one. So shameless plug, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Hilinski, feel better. Uh, Southern Californian representing out there in the SEC with a big win. Okay, two more games to go here. Wrapping up a crazy week seven again in the Pac-12. Every week is crazy. One that you may have had your hopes hanging until the very end. Washington State loses at Arizona State. Anthony Gordon had a pretty good game, 466 yards. He had a great game, three touchdowns. But at the end of the day, they couldn't stop Jaden Daniels from running it in and helicoptering that ball into the end zone and losing 38-34. to 34. You know, I, I find it disconcerting that they go and make a change defensively, and then a lot of people seem to talk about how re, re-energized the defense looked and things like that. And then I ask the question, didn't Arizona State score 38 points? That, for me, is not 
an acceptable number, right? Then you're asking an offense to to put up, you know, 40 points a football game, and right. you, you can't expect that to happen. You got to have some defensive football played. So I don't know how much we learned, uh, except for the two co co defensive coordinators got some experience. They get to play a very you know beaten up Colorado team this week, which may help them get back, uh, you know, in the winning direction. And let's hope that comes. But you know that. Washington State now for me is just kind of is just going to be playing out the season now about you know how how well they can finish. They got some significant road football games still at Cal, still at Oregon, still at Washington. They have three losses. That's another three that puts them at six and six. If they're not able to overcome those three football teams that they've struggled against greatly on the road, so we'll see how that plays out. Right now, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, you know, that impressed with the fact that Anthony Gordon puts up those types of numbers. It's almost like the freak show at the at the circus. People come to watch it, but it's not championship caliber uh, uh, in in terms of team component. And that's the biggest thing. It's it seems like it, yeah, you can have great individual performances, but the chemistry it doesn't seem like is quite there. And and when you lose your defensive coordinator, you from spring game on are studying their schemes and studying the playbook and and enacting their idea of what the defense needs to look like losing that person can't be can't feel great as a defense no it can't i mean it's it's difficult enough to play <laughs> to play in the NCAA climate and uh and allow that type of thing to happen so you know i'll be interested to see how mike leach and the, uh, there's also a, a crazy dynamic that came out of this weekend and that's mike leach banning all social media for his players and his coaches I mean, the irony in that is Mike Leach, whenever he's on social media, goes viral. Well, yeah, because he's just he's just absurd. You know, I want him to be more of a football coach right now. And maybe this is him, you know, tightening the screws a little right. bit in terms of being a football coach and making it about football. And there was a little he talked about elitism that came with how well they've done the last few years. Right. I never thought that would be the case coming out of Washington State because there always is seemingly a chip on everybody's shoulder. And the fact that they can't, you know beat the Huskies to save their life would not allow you to get, uh, you know, go big time or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I expect them to, to play better against Colorado this week, but I'm, you know, it, I didn't take away anything from that game other than the fact that they lost the football game and gave up 38 points. Yeah, and Arizona State did what Arizona State typically does. You know, Benjamin was really good on the ground. Uh, and again, Jaden Daniels, phenomenal freshman quarterback. I think, I mean, do, what do you see for the future for him? Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he has looked mature for his age, and you know who would have thought at this point right now this Arizona State football team would be a team sitting there with one loss, uh, getting ready to battle in a top 15 matchup uh, against uh, against the Utah Utes this weekend. Uh, I think the Pac-12 Network's got that game yep. too, so um, should be pretty good. It's been an exciting football game. Last year, Arizona State beat them late in the year. Uh, and they knocked out Tyler Huntley and turned it into a, a crazy South Division because of that. So and this is this may be one of those games we talk about down the line that determined who was South champion was. Final game, again recapping that that last game we talked about, 38-34 Arizona State takes the win. Final game of the Pac-12 slate. So I went to the Hollywood Bowl on Saturday night during this Washington-Arizona game, and I kept checking my phone because I, I wanted Arizona. I wanted Arizona to prove to everybody that they could be a 5-1 a, a team, that they could go into the South and have a chance to win it. Against, they were the, they're at the bottom of the media pool, and 
I mean, Cal was also at the bottom of the media pool. We see where they are. Look, the Pac-12 media pool is always crazy. So I apologize, Ryan, if for some reason you have a vote and I just insulted you. I don't think you do, though. So, um, yeah, I figured. Do you have a vote for the media pool? I don't. Okay, good. So I didn't insult you. No. That's good. It's, uh, for me, it's, uh, it's my, we call it the gold standard leaf, gold leaf pool. Right. Yep. Um, 17-13 at half. Yep. Arizona leading. They struggled out the gate a little bit. Defensively, they held uh, Eason in check um, in that first half. And then uh, Jacob Eason and that offense finally found something in the second half and just really erupted on the road. In fact, some of their their best performances this football season have been two games on the road, in particular in the second half, at BYU, at Arizona. And what they've done is they've made people forget about the Stanford loss, and it is put everybody in a position to get hyped once again for this Oregon-Washington football game. Oregon travels up the I-5 to the University of Washington on Saturday. ABC midday game uh, for everybody to see. And I think it's going to be a goodie. I, I, I know your bias is sitting out there for everybody to see in terms of Oregon, but I still think this is going to be a very good football game because Jimmy Lake's going to have a plan in place. Right. So they may not be able to score a lot of points. This could be one of those crazy – defensive-minded football games where it comes down to a defensive big play that maybe gets some points themselves, and both these defenses are capable of doing that. Sort of like that Penn State-Iowa game this past week. Let's hope it doesn't look like that. <laughs> I'm a fan of that kind of defense. I loved the Red Box Bowl last year. I loved that Oregon won 7-6. All the Duck fans, oh, they terrible game. No, we don't get to see defense like that in the Pac-12. We don't get to see a defensive scrum that ends 7-6 to six in the Pac-12. And so I, it's refreshing for me to be able to see something like that. It's not exciting, but it's fun. It's it's and you're I mean you were a quarterback like I understand like you no I mean I like defense I don't like games that are sixty seven sixty three or something I don't like those football games but I also don't like ten to nine football games right I want what I loved was the Cal Arizona State game on Friday night a couple weeks ago twenty four seventeen that's that's enough scoring that's good enough defense I got a little of both that's the type of football game I enjoy and I wouldn't be surprised if this one looks similar to that Um, and, and um, I'm going to have to take a good hard look at this week and see what Washington did in the second half that maybe found and flipped a switch that can put some pressure on an Oregon defense that has not allowed double-digit points since that first football game. Washington ended up going that second half run again. Remember, I, I, I opened up this segment of our podcast saying that I was holding out hope, and I kept updating my phone at the, four, or at the, at the, um, at the Palladium. Arizona up 17-13 at half. Oh, yes, I can put my phone away. They're, I'm going to check again in an hour, and they're going to still be in this. And then I check my phone, and it's 51-27, and that was it. So Washington walks away with a win in Tucson, 51-27. And I think that will do it for our Week 7 recap. A lot went on. Oregon, give them a top 10 AP pullers. Listen to Ryan Leaf. That's all I have to say. And that's where we're going to end the podcast. If you take nothing from this episode except for one thing listen to ryan leaf (laughs) we'll see you on thursday everybody for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.